want you to open your Bibles with me today to Titus chapter 2. We were last week in Titus chapter 1, and we're going to spend some time today walking through this passage again, uh, through the chapter 2, and then again hitting a little bit on chapter 3, in this uh, little letter that Paul wrote to give encouragement to the church. And let me just ask you, because the church, by the way, is not an affiliation, it's not a building, it's not an association, it's not an organization. The church is us. And so when you recognize that this passage, this, this book, this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, written to Titus, that it was written for the purpose of encouraging the church, let me ask you a question. Do you need to be encouraged today? Do you need to actually see the encouragement and the challenge that God has for you? Listen, I know that I do, and I, I think probably even if you're not aware of it, you do as well. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to let the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, encourage the church, challenge the church, push the church to be everything that God wants us to be. Before we jump into the passage, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word, for its encouragement to us, for the way that it uh, guides our steps. Lord, the way that it leads us in helping us to navigate all the, the junk of life. And God, so today we just simply say thank you. Lord, we are so grateful for you, for your mercy, for your goodness that, that guide us every step of our lives. But God, we're also so very grateful that when this life is over because of Christ, that we have the privilege and the opportunity of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. God, we thank you for the gospel. And I pray that today as we spend some time in your word that you would help us to once again get a clear picture of what the gospel is all about. And if there's somebody here today or someone watching, someone listening today that, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, hasn't had that opportunity of making that decision, of believing that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that he rose again the third day for them, God, I pray that today would be the day they simply, in their hearts, finally decide and believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, and that today they simply say, save me. And God, we thank you in advance of the work you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the letter of Titus, it's one of the small little letters, one of three different books, three different letters that we found in, uh, we find in the New Testament that are called the pastoral epistles. We talked a little bit about last, last week when the Apostle Paul, in about A.D. 63 or A.D. 64, wrote these letters, uh, two of them to Timothy, one to Titus. He was sending uh, Timothy as his representative in one place and Titus his representative in another, both of which were tasked with the responsibility, the opportunity, the privilege of guiding the church to be all that God wanted the church to be. Now listen, we said it last week that these letters, while written to one man 2,000 years ago, clearly God intended for this letter to be written to all of us to challenge every single one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we do. It wasn't simply written to pastors. It was written to all of us. It wasn't simply written to elders or deacons. It was written to all of us. It wasn't written to a specific person with a specific talent or an ability, or something that God put on them that's different than all the rest of us. No, it was written so that every single one of us would be exactly who God wanted us to be and do exactly what it is that God wants us to do as it relates to the local church. 
And so knowing that, understanding that, last week we talked about just in the first part of that passage in Titus chapter 1, that challenge that uh, even in the greeting of that letter, that we can find great truth that would push us and lead us to be all that God intended us to be. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of walk a little bit further. Now you'll remember, if you were here last week, we, we, we talked about the fact that our gospel experience, that moment when we come and believe that God loves us and that Christ died for us and that He rose again for us, the decision that we made in our lives to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it was not a one-and-done transaction, right? That it was not just simply something that we believed and then we moved on and continued through life doing whatever it is that we wanted to do. That it's something that needs to change us daily. It's a life-changing, life-altering decision that needs to be something that moves us every day for the rest of our lives. Now, I want to start today in Titus chapter 2, and I want to give you one verse, verse 11, because in this verse is a powerful truth that all of us need to embrace, that we need to recognize, that we need to be thankful for, grateful for. And so it's Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now when you think about that statement, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the undeserved gift of God, that He has given to us something that we can never earn, never work for, never, never get to the place where we deserve to have that right, that God has blessed us by giving that to us, then yeah, man, you, when you understand that, it's going to change you. It's going to guide you. It's going to make you take different steps, and, and it's going to make you act differently in a world that is constantly running from God. It's going to make you want to run towards God and let people see God's work within you. And the only way that that won't happen, the only way that we can't let that be true in our lives is if we have a different value of the gift of salvation. If we view our gospel experience as something far less than what it really, truly is. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. Today, that's what we're going to focus on and and allow, again, this letter in Titus chapter 2 and again in Titus chapter 3 that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, roughly, to, to, to kind of get us to the place where we view and value salvation as more than what I'm afraid so many of the church today do. And so let's kind of focus here. What does Paul say about this gift? And the first thing that he says is just simply this. We are saved by the grace of God. Now think about that statement, saved by the grace of God. Go back to verse 11. We just read it. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, again, that connotes, it it kind of gives the idea that it's something that God gave to us when we didn't deserve it. So it's kind of the idea that that, that there's this God in heaven who created everything. There's a God in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We use that term all the time, don't we? And of course, those of us like steak, that's a good thing to know. That he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That he has everything. Everything in the world belongs to him. And so when you think that that person, that, that God, has given to us something that he very likely and very uh, well could have put into his pocket as his own private personal possession that he could have hid it away and protected it only to give to a few people. But rather what he did is he took that gift out and as this passage tells us, it has been given to all men. 
Now, I'm not going to get into a theological discussion today or, or kind of debate today about whether uh, this gospel is something that's available to all. I'm not going to get into the elect or the non-elect or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to jump into that. Because here's what I just simply believe, and it's something I learned from my dad many years ago. He just simply said this. He said, I don't want to argue about the elect or the non-elect. I don't want to talk about that. All I know is this. The more that I preach the gospel, the more it seems that people get elect. So I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel and let God take care of all the rest of it. And so for those of you who are kind of caught up in the theology of it, listen, awesome. Keep studying, keep reading, keep writing, keep hanging out, having conversations about it. That's awesome. But don't you ever stop telling people about Jesus and the gift that he gave when he died on the cross and when he rose again. It's God's problem who's elect and who's not elect. It's not ours. Keep preaching the gospel. Okay, that's my little soapbox. I'm going to step off of it now and get right back into the sermon. So, that that grace of God, that gift of God has appeared to all men. Now, it goes right along with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I know a verse you're familiar with. Two verses. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This gift has been given to us, and we could not deserve it. We could not earn it. We could not work for it. We could not be good enough to get it. We couldn't be in the right family to deserve it. We couldn't have grown up in the right house or on the right side of the tracks or in the right country. Our skin color couldn't have been the right color. We could never never have gotten to the place where where economic and, and financial situations have put us into a special category that we could be worthy of this gift. It is by the grace of God, period. Isn't that good news? Here's why it's good news. And this is why we're talking about it today as it relates to our view, our value that we have of this gift of God. Because if you do not recognize it for what it is, a gift that you could not have worked for or earned or gotten, unless you believe clearly that this is something that God in His unfathomable love for us, that He simply said, hey, here it is, it's yours. If you don't have that view, then you will never value it the way that you should. Because it's something that we must recognize, man, if it were not for the grace of God, I never could have gotten this. I can't believe God gave me the opportunity to have this. I can't believe God loves me that much. And God gave me this gift until you get that into your heart. Until that's the way you value this thing called salvation. Man, you will never truly view it the way God intends for you to view it. And until you view it the way God intends for you to view it, you know what we'll do? We'll take it for granted. They were doing that 2,000 years ago. The church that Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit that he gave to the Apostle Paul to write this letter, um, that church that Paul was talking about, that that church that Paul was encouraging Titus to lead and to guide, and and that church that Paul was telling Timothy, hey, make sure you're doing the right things here. Make sure you're, you're teaching the right stuff. That church was taking this gift for granted. Now, interestingly, that was a church back then that was only about 30 years removed from the cross, only about 30 years removed from that moment that Christ walked out of the tomb. And you can imagine, like, when, when Christ walked out of the tomb, it was a pretty big deal, right? I mean, you can imagine how all of Jerusalem was, like, shocked and amazed. 
I mean, the Bible tells us, if you've ever studied the Scripture, and a lot of times we kind of gloss over this part of it, but the Bible says that when Christ rose from the grave, Jesus was not the only one that came back to death that day. Did you know that? It says in the Bible that when Jesus came back to life, that many people in Jerusalem came back to life. So, like, it was dead man walking all over Jerusalem that day. Now, can you imagine what Jerusalem must have been talking about? Do you, do you think that there was, like, something abuzz that day, right? Do you think that Twitter was, like, all a flurry? Dead people are walking. Graves are open. I can just see them, you know, typing it into their phones. But they didn't have phones. They were probably chiseling it out on rock, right? But you can imagine what Jerusalem must have been going through. Like, this is amazing. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. People are alive. They had no problem talking about what was taking place. They were 30 years removed from that moment. Here we are now, nearly 2,000 years removed from that moment. And yet we stopped talking about it. We're so far away from the glory, the majesty of the moment when Jesus stepped back into life, when Pontius Pilate and, and all of the religious leaders of the day, when they thought that they had defeated this man called Jesus, that he had put him in the grave and he was done, never to hear from again. And now all of a sudden he's, he's living. And not only is he living, but he brought a bunch of people with him. And they're all walking around and Jerusalem is sitting there in shock because of, of the, the, the amazing thing that just take, took place. We must be still amazed at what took place 2,000 years ago. We've got to have that kind of value, that kind of view, that we are saved by the grace of God alone. Now, the second thing we see in this passage, in verse 12, it just simply gives us the idea that we've been saved by the grace of God, which should affect the way that we live and act. We talked about that a little bit last week. It's not just a transaction that we move on and do whatever we want to do, right? We've been saved by the grace of God. It's a free gift. It's not something we could have worked for, not something we could have earned. And because of that, man, it better change what you do. It better change your actions. It better change your words. It better change the way you treat people. It better change the way that you act in, in your classroom. It better change the way that you act in your workplace. It better change the way that you act in your house. It better change the way that you act in your neighborhoods, in your communities. Man, we have a duty and a responsibility to be the representatives of Christ every single day. Look what it says in verse 12. Again, verse 11, for this grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 12, teaching us, encouraging us, guiding us so that we will deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age. Now here's a question for you. Is your status as a follower of Christ changing the way that you act? Is your status as a follower of Christ changing the way that you treat other people? Like are you acting differently now because Christ is the one that has saved you? That's what this passage tells us. Man, the fact that God saved us that God gave us this gift that we could not have earned, man, it teaches us we should deny ungodliness. In other words, walk away from ungodliness. Listen, the world is full of ungodliness. Pick up any newspaper, turn on any television, go on any website, and you can see that we live in a day and age, in a world today, where ungodliness is everywhere. 
where the world is constantly like getting more and more ungodly. Oftentimes in studying God's Word, we read about what took place going back in, in biblical times. You go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you read about some of the things that took place there. You, you go back and you read about Corinth and other places of that day. Man, it was, a, it was a horrific place, right? I mean, they were doing horrible, horrible things every single day. Listen, today is worse. It's worse today than it was then. And so the world, man, it's, it's, it's got plenty of ungodliness. God expects us, because of the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, that we would deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we would live right, that we would live soberly, and that we would point people to Christ. It's important that we recognize that our status as followers of Christ needs to redeem and change our actions. So, man, we've got to make sure this book was written clearly, this letter was written clearly, man, to correct the church, to get us to act the right way, to raise up the right kind of people to lead the church, to make sure that the church was something different than the culture. And, man, we look around today, and I've got to be honest with you, there are a lot of churches today that you could walk in this morning, and you could go in and you could talk to them, you could see them, you could follow the people out of the room and go back to their homes. And you know what you would have a difficult thing, a difficult time doing? You would have a difficult time di- differentiating the people that are sitting in the churches today and the rest of the world. You'd have a difficult time noticing the difference because we do not let our status change our actions. So, man, it should affect the way that we live and act. Third thing that Paul writes in this passage is this. It should affect the way that we live and the way that we act as we wait for that amazing, great promise that God has given to us. Look at verse 14, uh, verse 13. Verse 13 says this, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, what we are waiting for is so much greater than anything that you can imagine. Oftentimes, we put such value on what we can accomplish here. Man, we think if we could just have that car, if we could just live in that house, if I could just have the right kind of bank account, man, if I could just have my, my 401k or my, my, my mutual fund, man, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just that close. If I could, and by the way, this week was not a good week to look at any of those things, was it? But man, if I could just have that, I, I, would, I would arrive, man, I'd be there, man. If I could just have that, everything would be great. Listen. Recognize this, what we are waiting for is so much greater than anything this world has to offer. I don't care how much money you have, what God has prepared for us is greater. I don't care what kind of car you drive, what God has prepared is so much greater. I don't care how much money you've got in the bank, what God has prepared is so much better. In John chapter 14, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, when you look at some of the passages of Scripture, you know that passage of John chapter 14 says, in my father's house are many mansions. And then somebody, when they went back through and they actually did a little more study, and they recognized that in the Greek, that what Jesus was really saying is, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Now, I got to be honest with you, when I heard that delineation between mansions and rooms, I was not happy. I mean, that was not a great day of revelation for me. Because, you know, as a young child, man, I was all excited, man. Jesus is up there building a mansion for me. That's pretty cool. I'm sitting there thinking about Beverly Hills. Man, I'm going to get to go to Beverly Hills one day, and I'm going to get to live in a mansion that Jesus himself is building for me. 
And then somebody comes along and says, no, it actually says in my father's house are many rooms. I was like, ugh. Here's what I know. I'd rather live in a room that Jesus built in a mansion than anything else that you can find in this world. Because I'm going to guarantee you that the room that Jesus has prepared for me, man, it's going to blow my mind. Man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing what Jesus has prepared for each and every one of us. So have that as our understanding, man. What He has done for us is so much better. God's best is just around the corner. It's just ahead. The next thing we see here is that we recognize, man, we're looking forward to what God has prepared, waiting for that great moment because He has changed us for a reason. He has changed us on purpose. Look what it says in verse 14. Verse 14 says this, Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, the New Living Translation says it this way. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. That's an important statement. Totally committed. Because here's what I think. I think we live in a world today, in a culture today, where Christians are like really great at being almost totally committed. Like we're really great at being partially committed. Like I am all in, mostly. Man, I'm like, like one and a half feet in, but I'm keeping a half a foot out just in case. We're really good at that. We're really good at like making sure that we want all things, right? So in other words, we want the best of both worlds. Man, we want to be followers of Christ. We're going to show up when church is open. We're going to come in here. We're going to worship together. We're going to celebrate together. We're going to read God's Word together. We're going to do all the things that we're supposed to do. But then we're going to walk back out of here. We're going to go out and say, okay, now world, show me what you've got, man. I want to be in that world too. But yet God has clearly told us, no, 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 through His Word right here. He wants us to be totally committed to Him. And we wonder sometimes why the church seems to be languishing behind this idea of reaching the world for Christ. Do you know that today we have every resource and every tool that we could ever need in order to reach the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And yet in 2020, it's hard to believe, there are still people today who have not yet heard the gospel. There are people yet still today that don't even have a copy of God's Word in their own language to be able to sit down and read it. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it goes beyond what we could even figure out the why. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. Because the church is not totally committed to doing what God has told us to do. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what Jesus was saying? Go everywhere and reach everyone and make sure that everybody has the opportunity to hear this great, incredible message of the grace of God so that they can be changed for eternity just like you were. And we sit back and we look at a world today that there are still people that are unreached. There is no excuse that in 2020 that there are any unreached people groups around the world. There's no excuse for that. The only reason that has occurred, the only reason that happens, the only reason that is true is because we have not done fully our job. But let me also tell you this. 
There's also no excuse why in a city like Lynchburg that has 452 churches in our community that preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, who stand upon his word, who gather together just like we're doing here right now, and we're celebrating together and worshiping together, lifting up his name together, there is no excuse that in a city like that that there are still people who have not yet been told of the great message of the gospel. It's our job. And we've got to be totally committed to that work, totally committed to that job. Man, I want you to go out and share your faith. I want you to be passionate about going out, letting people know who Jesus is. Share with them the way you live. Share with them in the way that you walk. Share with them in in what you say and how you live. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Invite them to come and be a part of, of this church service with you. Look around you. Listen, this room, there are empty seats in this room. And sometimes there are people who say, man, why are there empty seats in the church? Maybe we should build a bigger church. No, we should invite more people. We should reach more people with the gospel because God has given us the duty and the responsibility of going to the world, which includes right here in Lynchburg. So, man, we've got to be totally committed. So today, make that your passion. Make that your heart. Man, I want to be totally committed all in in living this thing out, the faith, this thing called the faith. Why? Why is that important? It's the last thing Paul gives us here, verse 15. So we can change the world through him. So that we can change the world through him. Look what it says in verse 15. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Now you look in that, in that verse, if you're looking at your Bible, there's three commands in that verse. Three statements that we've got to grab. The first one, speak. In other words, man, don't you ever be ashamed of sharing the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. We have a duty to not be ashamed. And so this passage says, make sure, speak the truth. Speak the gospel. Second word there, second command there is the word exhort, which means to encourage. It means to bring truth into someone's life for the purposes of bringing them along, of encouraging them in their walk, of pushing them, giving them a nudge towards the things of God. And then, yes, the third command there is the word rebuke, and that is to show them what's wrong. We have a duty to stand up for what's right. We do not have the privilege, we do not have the opportunity in today's culture as followers of Christ to sit back and keep our mouths shut about the way the world is going. We still need to call sin, sin. Now, we love the sinner Man, we wrap our arms around them. We love them. We care for them. We minister to them. We embrace them. We want to engage them, bring them back. No question about it. We do not also have the right to treat people the wrong way just because they're living the wrong way. We must treat them the right way because they're living the wrong way so that we can wrap our arms around them and to rebuke them, to show them, to exhort them, to encourage them, to tell them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Man, what a powerful passage. Now listen, when you look at this idea, this this statement, this challenge that Paul gives to us in the book of of Titus here, this letter, he tells, man, you you, got to do the right stuff. You got to be passionate about giving the right words. So what do we speak? What do we say to this world that is so desperate and so far from God? And you just go through in Titus chapter 3. 
I'm just going to read it briefly because it makes sense. I don't need to explain it at all. It says this, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable and gentle, showing all humility to all men. Don't you love that was, don't you wish that that was actually part of the terms and conditions of Facebook and Twitter and all the other online things? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, let me read that again real quick. So, to obey and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Man, I wish Twitter was, that was a requirement in Twitter. To speak evil of no one. To make sure that, uh, to be peaceable and gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards men appeared... Not by works of righteousness, in other words, not by what we've done, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, and listen to this statement, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, we've got a duty, we've got a responsibility, we've got a job. Here's the question. How are you doing at your job? How are you doing at the work that God's called you to do? Remember it said, we, we've been called out. We've been saved by His grace. We've been given this amazing gift. And we've been given this gift to change us, to change the way that we act, to change the way that we live. So just, again, how are you doing in that? How are you living? How are you treating? How are you acting? How are you talking? What are you saying? What are you doing? How are you treating other people? Are you kind? Are you peaceable? Are you gentle? Are you avoiding talking bad about others? Are you living out this thing called the faith in a world that does not understand what truth is all about? And if you're not doing well, man, the greatest message you can hear today is just simply this. You can start now. It is never too late to start doing the right thing. So let's, the church, let's be encouraged by the writings of Paul, by a letter that was written 2,000 nearly years ago to encourage us to actually do what he has called us to do. Be different. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, Lord, the way that it speaks truth to us when we need to be spoken truth to when we need to hear what's different, when we need to hear how that we're kind of sometimes messing up, but how we got to get back on the right track. God, I pray right now, Lord, for every person gathered in this room, Lord, that we would figure out, Lord, where we are languishing, where we're falling behind, where we're messing up. And God, that we would quickly turn, quickly change, and, and step back into this idea of living for you, Lord, to be all that you've called us to be. And God, I pray that as we do that, that you would also use us, challenge us, God, to be everything, Lord, that this world needs in a dark, dark world, that we would be the light in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes of what Jesus has done to point people to you. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In your name we pray. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. In a moment, our team's going to be gathered here at the front. We're going to stand together. Invitation time. We do this every week. We do it on purpose. We don't ever want to have the opportunity where somebody is here that God is dealing with that we also don't give the opportunity to respond.
to make a decision, to make a change, to make a, trans, a transition in the way that you're living. So here's the, here's the question for you today. Number one, are you a Christian? It's a gift. You can never earn it. You can't be sitting in church services enough to be good enough to earn it. It's something that God gives by His grace. And so today, are you a Christian? Have you made that decision to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, right here, right now, you can do it. Make that decision. Knowing that you're a sinner, that Christ died for you, that He rose again, believing that Jesus is His Son, believing that He did die and that He did rise again. And by doing so, Romans 10, 13 tells us, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here today, and the question that is for you is, am I living right? And again, I said it a moment ago, it's never too late to start doing the right thing. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we will confess our sins, He's faithful just to forgive us of all of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in other words, if you've not been doing things right, all we've got to do is say, God, I'm sorry, and start doing things right. And guess what He'll do? Forgive us. So maybe today you need to come and kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done, but today I commit to do things right. Maybe you want to join our church, come for baptism, whatever God is speaking to you, leave a prayer request, whatever, whatever God's saying to you today, let's stand right now together. Let's sing together. And as God leads, step out and make a decision right now. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with Him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, He gave His only Son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, He rose again. And when He came out of that grave, He gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's Word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We must believe that He died and that He rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Mm -hmm.